It's my great joy this morning to invite you to open your copy of God's perfect and precious word to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 10 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. And as you do that, I was uh, meditating uh, on the great privilege we have uh, coming up to uh, ordain these men to a ministry of gospel proclamation. And one of the great testimonies of this church down through the ages is how often it is nurtured and mentored and and cared for those and uh, launched them out into ministry around the world. Uh, I want to acknowledge somebody that you helped be a part of in their life this morning. And I don't see exactly where they're at, but I think that they're here. Uh, Jarvis Williams, are you here? He's in the very back, back there. Jarvis Williams is a colleague of mine at Southern Seminary. He is a, um, an incredible scholar. He is a fantastic preacher. He is a loyal churchman. And uh, we're thankful that he's here to worship with us today, visiting with us. He used to attend Ashland Avenue. He was a student at uh, Lexington uh, Baptist College. And we are a part of the story of cultivating him in the ministry. Not, not his ordination, but of launching him out. We have done that again and again and again down through the years, long before uh, I ever showed up here, and we get to be a part of it again. And uh, I say that to you, uh, not to uh, uh, make much of Jarvis, not to make much of us, but to call attention to God's faithfulness. Just like every time that those baptistry waters move. That is a testimony of God's faithfulness. And we have the privilege to launch people out in the gospel ministry. And that is a testimony to the fact that he indeed is faithful. So Jarvis and family, we thank God that you're here today. And we thank God for the way he's using you in your life and ministry. And let's, let's thank God for that today. Well, with that said, I want to invite you to stand in reverence for the reading of the perfect words of our sovereign God. Stand knowing that God's word is perfect and precious. And stand knowing that in the scripture and in the scripture alone, we know the true story of the world. Second Timothy chapter one, beginning in verse three. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. With a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. Let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. I thank you for the sign of the kingdom and baptism. I thank you, Lord, that we gather before your perfect and precious word, your God-breathed word, knowing that you indeed have spoken and it is written. Oh, Lord, help us to remember things today that ought to be remembered now and forever and change our lives because we remember the right things. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. G. Campbell Morgan was a a great preacher, early part of the 1900s. He was a pastor, an evangelist, and a a scholar as well. And uh, he preached at Westminster Chapel in London, which later Dr. Lloyd-Jones preached at. But but G. Campbell Morgan had four sons who all became preachers and, and went into the ministry. And one day there was a guest in their home when all of them were there, G. Campbell Morgan and his four preacher sons. And the the guest thought he would kind of put them on the hot seat, and he asked the sons, who in this room is the best preacher? The youngest son looked at his father with a great sense of admiration, and he said, without skipping a beat, mother. Now, she may not have stood in the pulpit, but she preached. She preached with her testimony to her children at home. She preached with her life as she cared for and nurtured them. You know, children often see what is often obscured from most people seeing. The consistency, the daily faithfulness of a mother. A a mother has a sense of hidden ministry. Now, when I say children often see, I mean adult children often see. Children generally don't come to that realization until they're older, even though they are blessed by it. And so I want to give an assignment to all of the children who are in the room today. Stop taking for granted all that your mother does for you. This week, all of those things that you just, she says, here's your lunch, and you just grab it and go out the door, stop it. Say, thank you for making my lunch. Develop a habit of that. You will not regret it. In fact, one day, if you don't, you'll regret that you didn't. But like this son looks at his mother with this sense of admiration about how important she had been in his life. Even though the applause had gone to G. Campbell Morgan, nobody was there to applaud the things that she was doing. You see, a mother's ministry is often largely hidden. It it almost completely involves things that there are not applause for. And that's a part of its beauty. The Scripture tells us that there's a wonderful reality of making sure you do not use your righteousness to be seen by men, to receive their applause. Well, that's easy for mothers. And in fact, it's why some women struggle with motherhood. They like the idea of it more than the reality. 
because we are sort of addicted to being noticed, being seen. But what I want you to know today is there is something beautiful about serving and being unseen. In fact, the Bible makes much of it. And the Bible would call that greatness in a way that what we do that is seen and applauded can never be called greatness. This sort of hidden life, hidden ministry. You know, uh, years ago, Judy and I, when we lived in Texas, um, we got connected and got an opportunity to go downtown with a man who, who worked in an office building downtown, and he would drive by and see the homeless in downtown Dallas every day. And, and finally, he just decided, I'm a Christian, I'm going to do something about it. And so he said every day he's got connections with churches and they make sandwiches and things like that. And so every day after work, he goes down and feeds the homeless in downtown Dallas. Every day. Day after day, year after year, this is what he does. So much so that the homeless in downtown Dallas called him the Rev. He wasn't a pastor, but to them he was the Rev. And so we got to go down there with him one day and be in the process of giving out the stuff and, and, and giving out the, the, um, the, the food. And there was also another group down there, and, and yeah, the Rev was giving out little sandwiches, and they were giving out subs. And I was uh, kidding with one of the homeless people down there, saying, yeah, you know, you don't want the Rev's food today, you want that, right? And he looked at me, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, no way. Those folks might come down here once a year. You can set your watch by the Rev. That's why his food always tastes best. See, that's what a faithful mother does. You can set your watch by a faithful mother. She's just there day after day. She's just there doing the things that people do not applaud. It's been 17 years since my mom died, and I miss her. In a lot of ways, my mom was uh, a piece of work. She was very unintentionally hilarious, never trying to be. And she had all kinds of issues. Uh, She was the most impatient woman who probably ever walked the face of the earth. Judy can attest to you if she invited us over for lunch at noon and we showed up at 12.10, when we got there, she was already eating. I said, why didn't you wait on us? I was hungry. Right? It's just the way she was. She was a high school dropout. She didn't really have any qualities that anybody on the outside looking in would say, that's somebody worthy of applause. But you know what? For me, she was always there. And she never acted like she didn't want to be there. I thought about when I preached her funeral, the fact that I don't think I ever went to bed one night in my entire life where I didn't know with absolute certainty that she loved me. I never doubted it. She was just there for me. In our text this morning, we hear about Timothy's mother, Lois, and his grandmother, Eunice. Now, this is very interesting because 
This is the only place that these names show up in the Scripture. This is one of those, one of those times in which what we're getting is a, a peek, a, a glimpse behind the sovereign curtain, and, and it's just a quick glimpse where, where we're being reminded that oftentimes these people whose names are completely unknown are doing the most important work. We see that uh, Lois and Eunice have been involved in, in work that, that helped transform lives and will for all eternity. We get a peek into, it's not really hidden anymore, but it's just a peek because what they were involved in was a hidden faithfulness. Paul provides Timothy and us in this text with a very important call to remember. Verse 3, there's the word remember. Verse 4, there's the word remember. Verse 5, there's the word remind. Verse 6, there's the word remind. You see, this is about this, this remembering that we are called to do. And the first thing I want us to see in verses 3 through 5 is this. We are to remember God's story. Now, now this could be just simply titled, we are to remember history. Because history is God's story. God is at work in the world accomplishing His purposes. God is unfolding His plan, His sovereign plan, and working out His providential purposes in the world. Remember God's story. Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 1, verse 2, he calls him a, my beloved child, my, my dearly beloved. He is his, his true son in the faith. He wrote 1 Timothy, and 1 Timothy was sort of a, a manual on church order to a church that was in the midst of, of all kinds of difficulty and challenges in Ephesus. But 2 Timothy is written from a, a little bit different vantage point, for it is about Timothy. And it is a call to Timothy as he shepherds the church in Ephesus to be faithful. You see, Paul is in prison. It's probably his second Roman imprisonment. And this time is different than last time. Paul tells us in this letter that he's largely been deserted. That really nobody is with him. And he also tells us in this letter that he's already survived one hearing. But he described in 2 Timothy 4.17 that survival in this way. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. You see, he knows that this is it. This is his last letter that he writes. He knows that he will not survive this imprisonment. He has a sense that he will be executed for his testimony of faithfulness in Christ. 2 Timothy 4.6 For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. This is his last letter, his, his last will and testament, as you will. And I love the way Calvin puts the burden of, of Paul to Timothy in this letter. Calvin says, this is written not merely in ink, but in Paul's life blood. See, there's a passion, a blood earnestness to this letter. There is urgency flowing from Paul's pen to get at the things that matter most. And we start out in verses 3-5, through five, which, is, which is just one long sentence. 
One long run on sentence in verses 3 through 5. Look with me beginning in verse 3. I thank God whom I serve, or, or the word can be translated worship, as did my ancestors, our forefathers, with a clear conscience, meaning without guilt, as I remember you constantly or unceasingly in my prayers day and night. Then verse 4, as I remember your tears, I long, I desire to see you. Meaning in Rome, he, he hopes Timothy can come see him in Rome. That, here's the purpose, I may be filled with joy. Verse 4 sort of an aside, a, a parenthetical comment. He, he's declaring here that he thanks God, whom he serves with a clear conscience, remembering him constantly in his prayers. And then he remembers this event. This event where Timothy wept. He saw his tears. And he thinks about his longing for them and the, the joy of the bond between a father in the faith and a, a spiritual son. It's probably a reference to the, the farewell to the Ephesian elders in Miletus. Acts twenty thirty seven says, There was much weeping on the part of all. See, the bond here is so tight. It's so close. But think about this. What did Paul keep getting accused of? Oh, he is, he, he is opposed to the law of God. He is opposed to the temple. He is opposed to the faith of our fathers. But, but Paul everywhere rebuts those charges and he is relentless in declaring that what he believes is living out the faith of his ancestors. That he is living out the promise of the Old Testament. He never cedes that ground. This, this Christian walk, this, this way that he's on in the name of Jesus Christ is not some new religion. It's the fulfillment of the promise of old. He says that he, he serves God or worships God, as did his ancestors. And he says with a clear conscience. Now that's clearly not a reference to when he was a, an enemy of the church, but when he saw that this whole thing was about Jesus the Messiah, that in Him all the promises of God are yes and amen. That He is the one that's the key to interpreting all of the Scripture and all of life. Now He's given Himself over to that service. And even though He's in prison, even though He's been walked away from by many people, even though He's ridiculed, even though He may die, that He sits in that prison cell and He writes Timothy with a clear conscience. That his testimony of faith is in line with all of those promises of old. And then he remembers Timothy. And he says he unceasingly prays for him day and night. The God of Moses, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, Isaac the God of Jacob is the God of Paul. It's the God that Paul serves. You see, history is God's story. The whole Bible, brothers and sisters, is Christian scriptures. The Bible is about Jesus. There's no part of this book that, that we shove to the side. It's all about Christ and it is all our story. Moses' story is our story. We've been swept into the family of Abraham. The baton of faith has been passed from generation to generation. And we have this privileged position of living on this side 
of the time when the end of the ages has come in Christ. The overlap of the ages. This is a privileged place in which we sit. Live out that privilege. Remember the story. Remember where we fit in this story. You see, for Paul, remembering is a spiritual discipline. He, he talks of remembering all the time. Remembering God's story. God's story from the beginning. God's sovereign choice to, to save a people. God's working in Paul's life. And now we're going to see working in the life of Lois and Eunice and, and ultimately Timothy. You see what he's doing here. Paul is connecting the whole plan of redemptive history from the very beginning to Timothy's story. That this, this arc of redemptive history that, that Paul was brought into on the road to Damascus, Timothy has been brought into as well. And brothers and sisters, can I, can I plead with you to remember that in Christ, you have been brought into that story as well. And how absurd it is for us to act like when we go through things. Yeah, I mean, nobody's ever gone through this. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Doesn't make it easy, but somebody's always gone through what you're going through. And there's always hope. This didn't start with us. This isn't a few years old. You know when it started? Before the foundation of the world. You think you need an anchor to trust something in this world? How about the God who created the world and made promises that were before the world began? Look at what he says in verse 5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, your, your genuine, unhypocritical, unfeigned faith. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. Do you see this picture? The way he's drawing that line from the beginning, from the covenantal promise in the very beginning, Genesis 3.15 and the Abrahamic promises all the way through the line to, to Paul himself, to to. to Lois to Eunice, and now to Timothy. This is God's story. This is what God is doing. We find out something in Acts 16 about uh, Timothy's family. It tells us there that there was a disciple named Timothy who was the son of a Jewish woman, Acts 16 verse 1, who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Meaning the, the father was a Gentile unbeliever. So Timothy has a father who's not converted and a mother and a grandmother who are converted. What did that mother and grandmother do? 2 Timothy 3, 14 to the beginning of verse 16. But as for you, he writes to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. Do, do, do you hear that admonition? Don't forget from whom you've learned it. And how from childhood... You have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God. The Scripture has as much authority on it as if you felt the breath of God speak it to you. 
It is the very word of the living God. And he says, that is what Eunice, your grandmother, and Lois, your mother, taught you from the very beginning. And by the way, take note, grandparents, of which I am one now. I'm not old enough to be a grandparent, it doesn't seem. Grandparents. I cannot tell you how many people I know whose faith walk, they trace it right back to their grandparent. The faithfulness of a grandparent. The witness of a grandparent. Here we see that that Eunice, the grandmom, and Lois, the mom, had had come to faith in Christ. uh, uh, Probably came to faith in Christ under Paul's uh, preaching ministry in Lystra. And there they probably were with, with Timothy. And now Timothy is a believer. And now he's, he's leading the, the church at Ephesus. And now Paul is encouraging him. I love Calvin here. He says, He had been educated from his infancy, infancy in such a manner that he might have sucked godliness with his milk. I wish I could say stuff like that. The relentlessness of pointing him to the God-breathed Scripture. Moms and dads too. It could be that your greatest contribution to the kingdom of Christ is not what you accomplish, but who you raise. Have you thought about that? Isn't it beautiful that Eunice and Lois, if, if, if God didn't purposely give us this little peek behind the curtain, oh, we know all about Timothy. There is no Timothy in God's providential design without a Eunice and Lois. Do you understand what a privileged position that puts you in? Teddy Roosevelt said, used to say, the two most important Americans are mothers and soldiers. Because they both defend the nation. Why is it so easy for us to miss this? Why is it so easy for mothers to spend time doing what's most important and to feel like they're missing out? Because we're a performance culture. Because everybody tells us and everything tells us if nobody is there to applaud it, what does it really matter? Faithful mothers live in defiance of that wisdom of the world. And that's why they live in such a faithful um, gospel magnifying way. See, it's one thing, uh, I know a bunch of people who are lobbyists in Washington, D.C., and most lobbyists are having conversations with politicians because they want something, and, and they know that not only is the lobbyist telling them something, but they're also trying to get something. And there's a particular group that's not funded by outsourced of people, and, and they go, and one, a politician in D.C. told me, that that's the only group I listen to, because they're not trying to use me to get something else because they don't need the money. <laughs> Motherhood is this wonderful opportunity to be faithful 
not to get anything else, but to be faithful. Knowing that the most important things are always the things that nobody applauds. Every time they do one of these studies about pastors, the scary thing is how little pastors pray. Why is that? Nobody applauds it. Still step in that pulpit every week. Why? Because they get affirmation from that. That's seen. The most important things are always the unseen. Think about why he's reminding Timothy of, of God's story that goes all the way back to the beginning. That is come to Timothy's life through his grandmother and mother. Why is he doing that? He's doing that because you'll be reminded Timothy has a tendency to sort of shrink back a little bit. He's he's trying to call him to courage and sacrifice. And that's one of the primary reasons he mentions uh, Lois and Eunice. He wants them to, to live a life of courage and sacrifice. And that is exactly what these dear women have done sacrifice to tell him the truth you see that leads to the next thing in verses six through eight we are to remember to suffer well to suffer well something every mother understands from birth right being a mother involves suffering a, a suffering that's worth it the, the moment the, the baby comes john sixteen twenty one puts it this way when a woman is giving birth she has sorrow because her hour has come but when she has delivered the baby she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world this this hidden labor this this longing that mothers have this praying this this nurturing and still, so much is beyond their control. They enter the child's grief. They, they comfort them. They discipline them. They disciple them. The great Protestant reformer Martin Luther said about the hidden duties of mothers, what then does Christian faith say to this? It opens its eyes. It looks upon all these insignificant, distasteful, and despised duties in the Spirit. And is aware that they are all ordained with divine approval as with the costliest gold and jewels. God with all his angels and creatures is smiling. Not because the mother is washing diapers, but because she is doing so in the Christian faith. Look at verse 6. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, this, this grace gift of God. He's speaking to Timothy here, which is in you through the laying on of hands, through ordination. This, is this, this fanning to flame is the idea of, of, of rekindling a fire and getting it going again. The, the Puritans would call this improving something. The, the, the application of it is the improving of it. He wants... Timothy here to, to fan into flame, to, to live out, to lean into the gift that God has given him. It's a gift, to, as we are talking about earlier, to be, uh, verse 11, uh, a pr- appointed a preacher. Verse 12, that's been entrusted with him. In chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Do not neglect the gift which you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of the elders laid their hands on you. He was called to be a faithful preacher of the gospel. He is to fan that into flame. He's not to put that in the background. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God of Paul, is the God of Lois and Eunice and, and Timothy. And he's given Timothy this specific gift, and he is to use it for the purpose that God intended it for. Verse 7, 
For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Here's the issue. Do not live with this sense of fear. God has not given you that. The Spirit has not gifted you to a ministry of fear. But He's given you power. This is the gift of the Spirit that transforms us. Acts 1.8 We have the Spirit that we may be Christ's witnesses to the ends of the earth. There are some who have a, a gifting to be formal proclaimers of that truth. Uh, Timothy is one of those. This power is the ability to do what needs to be done. It is to be used, he says, in love, and it's marked by self-control. He says, Timothy, fan the flame. You have been given power, not weakness. You have been given love, not self-centered fear of others. You have been given self-control, not self-protecting desires. Oh, Timothy, abandon yourself to the gift that you've been given in the calling that you have. Fan into flame the gift of God. Live with courage. Verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. Timothy, suffer well. Timothy, don't live a life thinking that you're going to find a way to get away from suffering. I am in this prison cell. Do not be ashamed of me because I am in prison. Follow me in faith. Suffer well. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Philippians 3.10, Paul says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Acts 5.41, rejoicing that they'd been counting worthy to suffer for his name. Do not shrink back from the gospel message. Do not shrink back from me. Do not shrink back from willing sacrificial suffering for the glory of God and the good of the gospel. Why? Is that crazy? No, it's not. Remember the story of God. The people of God have always suffered for the proclamation of the truth. Is it crazy? No, it's not. Remember the power of God. The power of God that comes in your life and equips you to be able to suffer well. And I love John Piper's words. He says, mothers suffer when their children are born. Mothers suffer when children leave them and go on the mission field. Mothers suffer when their children die. Mothers suffer when their children are foolish. A wise son makes his father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Proverbs 10.1. To be a mother, he says, is a call to suffer. Oh, yes, it is more, but it is not less. Mothers are a visible witness to suffering well. Mothers are a visible witness to serving without applause. Mothers are a visible witness to pressing on, not to be seen, but to serve. Paul's admonition to Timothy to suffer well is a call to live out as a pastor what he has seen modeled by Eunice and Lois. Finally, verses 9 and 10. Remember the gospel purpose of God. Verse 9. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling. He saved us that we might live lives devoted to Him. Now get this, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose. 100% God's sovereign grace. His purpose is the plan. His grace is the means. Because of His own purpose, verse 9, and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, from all eternity. 
Then he goes on to explain the powerful effects of the gospel in verse 10. And which now has been manifested through the appearing. That word is almost always in the New Testament used to the second coming, but here it's a reference to the first coming, Christ appearing to be crucified and and raised from the dead, which has now been made manifest through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who here's what he did, he abolished death. The death of death, death no longer a threat to be held over the head of the people of God because of eternal life. He is the abolisher of death, but he is the giver, what does it say at the end of verse 10? Who brought life and immortality, meaning incorruptibility. It speaks to the resurrection in the end when we have incorruptible bodies to light through the gospel. Do you see this? Sovereign grace becomes visible grace in the coming of Christ and the crucifixion and the resurrection. This is all about the eternal purpose of God from all eternity. Why does this matter? He's been doing this the whole time. He's linking a life now in Christ to what God had been doing from the very beginning. As you stand and face what you face now, You look at Paul, what he faced, and Timothy, what he faced, and you realize that their call was to look back and see the testimony of God's sovereign grace from the beginning, superintending all things to accomplish His purposes, and that is the God who has given them the promise of the future. This starts in eternity past, and it extends to eternity future. This is all about remembering the gospel purpose of God that has come down to people like me and you. Meditate on that. Drive that in your head. Do everything you can to remember that. You have been swept into the eternal purpose of God in Christ. What you need is the gospel. What you need to share is the gospel. How you need to order your life and your thoughts and your actions is the gospel. Justification by faith alone is something that works in your life as you lean into it. Living by grace. Somebody said to me one time, man, every sermon is gospel, gospel, gospel. Yep. If it stops being, fire me. That's what this is all about. Working out the gospel in our our lives. And, you know, you you think about with people's children. There are a lot of moms who, who, who embody this hiddenness and this service and this sacrifice. And yet, as they think about their children, what they point them to, to, to crave are the things that are accepted in our culture that receive the applause of men. And, 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 and those, those things are the least important. But it doesn't matter whether your kid goes to college or not. It matters if they love Jesus. I said, I said one time at a conference, it doesn't matter whether your kid goes to college or not, and had two people stand up and yell at me. I bet you they've never yelled about anything that has to do with the facts of the gospel. What's going on there? This is what it means to to really have a life that matters. No, it doesn't. The things that matter. If you you train your children to live for the applause of man, and most mothers are doing that even though they don't embody it when they do it, then you're teaching them to have a discontent, empty life. What matters is the gospel. And so when you look out at others and somebody 
says something to you that, that you don't like, that, that, that's not a crisis, right? Get over yourself. That happens. What, what is that person going through? We probably ought to care about them and, and pray for them. And, and you know, it, right? what, the gospel's bigger than this. See people. Don't just see you and think that everybody else is a prop to affirm you and make you feel better. That's about applying the gospel. That's about leaning into and living uh, based on justification by faith alone. And by the way, this is true no matter where you find yourself right now. Some of you in this room have children and they are wayward children. There is hope because the gospel is true. Some recently have children who are passed away. There is hope because the gospel is true. It doesn't matter where you find yourself in. This is what we're called to remember the gospel purpose of God. We remember God's story. We remember to suffer well. We remember the gospel purpose of God and mothers take full advantage of this wonderful, beautiful opportunity that you have that nobody else can have like it to this ministry of hidden faithfulness, this ministry of unapplauded servanthood. I guarantee you that'll make a difference in your child's life. Preach the gospel to them and live out what the gospel looks like before them. And that's not just for moms. That's for all of us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your perfect and precious word. And I pray today that we would do the very thing. We will remember the things that ought to be remembered. That we will frame our lives in light of the things that matter most. It's important for us to remember what Paul said to Timothy, but it's also important for us to note the things that he didn't say in this urgent letter at the end. Lord, help us to take note of both, that we may see what really matters and that we may all remember the things that we ought to remember so that we might live lives worthy of the gospel. Oh yeah, before our children and grandchildren. Before the world. But ultimately to the glory of Your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.